Listen up. It's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelawney. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. Well, I think we should call this episode the House of Sickly Speakeasy, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I apologise in advance for yeah, any oh. disgusting hacking that might ha- happen. Um, we're both weeping in the corner. Yes, the picture of health today. Yeah, we are, but we're uh, back in the studio. Back in the so studio and and avoiding all those terrible um, off-site noises that we had oh, during yeah, the yeah, viral hepatitis yeah, elimination yeah. conference That's and interruptions. Right. Exactly. And all that. As nice as it is, lazing by the pool. Always mm. good to be back. Mm. In. That's true. The little luxuries in here always make it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, offsetting our you know disgusting um, personages today is our picture of glowing health opposite us. Our guest Stuart Loveday, welcome, Stuart. Thank you, Carla, and hello, Annie. Hello. So we've we've asked Stuart to join us for a number of reasons, but um, particularly because after almost twenty five years at the helm, Stuart will step down soon. Step down as CEO of Hepatitis New South Wales and. We wanted to mark this special occasion in the life of the Australian response Mm. to viral hepatitis and a special time for you, Stuart, by inviting you to come over to these salubrious surrounds and and find out why, what's going on. So, um, so glad you accepted our invitation. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, we wanted to start off by asking you why hepatitis C? And, and you started um, in this field soon after the formation of the Hepatitis C Council of New South Wales, which later became Hepatitis New South Wales mm. in 1994. What brought you here and why Hep C? Well, I moved from London to Sydney in early 94. Mm. Um, and I was looking around for a job. And my previous job in the UK had been... Um, as working as a centre manager for drug and alcohol detox and rehab centre, right. a small centre called the Core Trust, and I'd sort of come into my own as as a kind of a leader. It was a, I was a co-leader. There was a therapy coordinator as well, um, and it was interesting that centre because he used acupuncture and counselling as the two cornerstone therapies worked right. really really well. Different. Um, so mm. we had a there was a shared coordination going on, and I suddenly realised that even though I'd been a kind of finance manager and coordinating previous jobs in the NGO sector mm-hmm. in the UK, heading up a small organisation, I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth looked after all the the uh, service delivery mm-hmm. planning side of things, and I looked after everything else. Mm-hmm. Fundraising, mixing with minor royalty, that was oh. fun. <laughs> Let's not royalty. talk about minor Emphasis royalty on the minor. <laughs> at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, then I moved and I was looking for a job and I thought, I looked at a few jobs and Annie, you might remember, I applied for a job at Nura <laughs> and you won my interview panel and I didn't wow. get the job. Oh, man, circle no. comes full oh. circle, doesn't it? Oh, look, you never know where someone's going to appear, do you? Mm. I mean, that's one thing I have learned over the years is <laughs> be nice to everyone because you mm. never know where they're going to pop up. <laughs> um, so I got the job at Hepatitis C Council of New South Wales and why Hep C? A... There was a job going. Mm-hmm. I knew many people. I didn't know they had Hep C at the time, but I knew many people mm-hmm. had been exposed to hepatitis C. I, I soon found that out when when I moved to to Australia, and the I'd been not a working part of the HIV response in in England, but I'd been living with 
um, going out with people with HIV. Mm -hmm. And so I knew what the sector was all about. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't uh, allow for was any understanding in the early days of just how good the HIV response was right. here in Australia compared with the UK. Okay. Um, so moving into the hep C space, um, I soon found out that it was probably in terms of numbers of people, 10 times more people living with hep mm. C, what the risk behaviors were, what the impact of the disease was, and what attitudes were like, mm. and the level of stigma and discrimination. It's gone down a small amount, but that's we've got such a long way to go in that regard yet. So hep C became, for me, um, a mission and a, 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 a driving towards equity, a Mm. working with people who had a whole lot less than I had personally yeah um, and striving for social justice yeah. and and equity um, that's what led me into hep C um, and it's been a 25 year old 25 year ride mm. um, and not ride really but journey mm. since then mm. Mm. I mean 25 years not to, to be well to be flippant about it you know that's <laughs> at the age at which most young people leave home for the first time, Stuart, mm. 25. So mm. it's, it's it's the right time now to say, yes, mm. this career has grown up, had its adolescence <laughs> and now becomes its own mature self. Yeah. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember actually, speaking of sort of walking down memory lane a bit, um, I do remember when you did first start at the Hepatitis Council and um, come, you came over to Newa and I was not long been the coordinator at Newer at that stage in 1994 and I remember us sitting in that big old three-story Victorian house over there in Bondi Junction and sort of chewing the fat about everything that was going to be coming forward in your new role and, and what was still a new role for me. I do clearly remember that. And I guess one of the things, Stuart, that really stands out about, you know, you mentioned just then uh, the the Australian response to HIV and where that, you know, it, how developed it, it was in relation to, uh, compared to the UK. Um, and one of the things that stands out about that response, of course, and and also is relevant to the hepatitis C response is this idea of partnership. And it's mm. been a really critical mm. one, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, in this, you know. That um, was exactly yeah. what I learned. That was the first mm. thing I learned from the HIV mm. response, who the partners were. Mm. Um, and without that partnership, and has been successful, I have to say, mm. over the years, because the the real response to a health condition has to be driven by the communities it affects, mm. by their NGOs representing those people, yeah. and then work in partnership with policy mm. makers, with doctors and nurses, other health professionals. Mm with researchers and the social researchers, the clinical, mm. the epidemiological and the, the basic science researchers. Mm. Um, and the the final partner, if you like, it's never named in the formal literature, but the pharmaceutical industry has played mm. a really major role yeah, right. in funding research mm. um, and in providing the now fantastic curative mm. direct acting mm. antiviral drugs, mm. which mm. help cure people with hep C in, in the real world, more than 95% of cases, mm. some cases 99 point something. Mm. I mean, I, I can't underscore that partnership mm. aspect enough, you know, um, when new students or new people start 
with us, the first thing we tell them to do is go and read the the websites and the magazines mm. and the resources produced by the community organisations, you know, to get familiar with the language, mm. the ways mm. in which things are spoken about, what are the key concerns, mm. and that's such an enormous resource mm. for people to get their head around, a really complex yep. area, and that and that's all from the community, mm. you know, it's in language and, and in um, portrayed in ways that make sense and are meaningful and appropriate and um, supportive. Mm. And then I, I think that transfers too, you know, to sitting around tables with, mm. with both of you in various ways and particularly in New South Wales with, with you, Stuart, and, and others, trying to work out how best to position ourselves to drive um, sensible responses and investments. And I think that's... Um, such an important role that you've given to me too is to mentor me in working out how to work with people to mm-hmm. to caucus before meetings to uh, across the room give the quick nod to say yep I'm with you keep going don't worry we've got your back <laughs> and it's <laughs> and now in the modern days we are texting each other when we're on <laughs> teleconferences whoops don't give that one away <laughs> to say come on no you say it no you say it no you yeah. say it <laughs> and um, that that kind of partnership work is um, it's never mm. written down mm. it's never part of a job description it's never part of a training module but it's it's those relationships that build over time because you are working with mm. shared agenda that's absolutely true. And at this stage, uh, just getting back to the, the, the brilliant HIV response and the good hep C response, mm. it's exactly because we haven't had huge buy-in yet from the communities of people affected by hepatitis B mm. that we have not yet seen the response that is needed mm. in the hepatitis B space in Australia. Mm. And for that matter, for the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, hepatitis B is mm. a big issue to do, right? Massive, yeah. massive. Mm. And what are your thoughts on that, Stuart? You know, why that's not the case? Mm. Um, the overwhelming majority of people um, living with hepatitis B in Australia are people who have moved to Australia from countries of high hepatitis B prevalence. Now, some of those are communist countries, um, China, Vietnam, to name two Um, people don't jump up and down and demand additional rights. There's a cultural thing about hepatitis B and a family thing about hepatitis B and stigma and discrimination. It's a different kind, but it's just as prevalent and it's just as impactful. Um, It reduces people, it marginalises them, it pushes them to one side and it isolates them. Um, the, The other reason is that migrants to Australia um don't by and large stand up and demand their rights um you could say that um some racists would shoot them down mm. go back mm. to where you come from yeah I've, yeah I've heard that said That's to my point. partner who is mm. from china um it's it's the absence of organized and funded community organizations yeah. and the only reason those organizations set up in the first place is because they demand action and funding from government. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's the reason. Yeah. And so to that issue, I am interested just to ask you and get your thoughts on the community response and funding for community-based organisations, you know, as you are, you know, leaving <laughs> the, the sector, so to speak. You know, what, what do you, what's your thoughts on the future in terms of affected communities funding for those organisations, what's needed from government in that regard? Um, 
all of our organizations have core funding. Mm-hmm. Um, the organizations that exist. Um, that's really important to keep up because we need to fund the back office, the yeah. financial management. Just the very existence of the organizations, yeah. We can always do more and better with what we've got, but there comes a limit to that. Um, so we've seen the investment in a variety of HIV-related NGOs um, at the perfect level. It's it's what's needed. It's the perfect yeah. public health response. Um, hepatitis C came along, um, identified in 1989, um, Community organisations started setting up from '91 onwards. Um, uh, hepatitis, viral hepatitis mm-hmm. community organisations set up from uh, from '91 onwards. Um, but the the fear, I think, it was of oh my god, there's all these ten times more people, and still ten times more again in the a- Hep B mm-hmm. space, two hundred thirty thousand people. Um, there's always been that disparity of funding, mm-hmm. so. I'm sorry to say this, but yes, we do all need more mm. money, mm. Um, both as community organisations, but as a sector overall. In order to, and then I'll just move straight to Hep C mm. now. The government has invested, federal government, one billion dollars over five years to fund these. They're not new anymore, but mm-hmm. the direct acting yeah. antivirals, and they are brilliant. Yeah. Um, what the government has not done is acknowledge that you need to invest perhaps not as much money as that, but you need to invest significantly more to mobilize, to make aware and mobilize communities into receiving or undertaking Mm -hmm. the treatment and getting cured. Um, They seem to have it right in New Zealand. Just recently, Ed Gain from Auckland spoke about a great overview of the Hep C response and the Hep B response in in New Zealand. And I remember way back when, in 1999, when I first went to Christchurch for the second um, Australasian Viral Hepatitis Conference, um, went to the Roger Wright Centre, met colleagues. Um, the, the reason the conference was held in Christchurch in New Zealand was to basically give the New Zealand Health Department a kick up the bum, basically, a realisation Mm, that more has to be done. Mm. More has been done. It took a long time coming because there was a, a, a side focus of the Hep C response mm. in New Zealand because of the blood supply scandal right, okay, that, that right. existed in the early years. But they have caught up now and they are going way ahead of Australia because they recognise that not only do you need to fund the drugs, mm. but you need to fund community awareness, you need to fund community mobilisation, you need to provide incentives both for community and for doctors. Mm. Um, so, in essence, we need, if, if the, if the uh, New South Wales government and the federal government are serious about eliminating hepatitis C mm. by the year 2030, 2028 in New South <laughs> Wales, um, they're going to have to recognise that they're going to have to do more because numbers of people accessing treatment now are reducing substantially and mm. we, when we stand to miss the targets unless we make additional effort mm. we cannot make additional effort mm. with existing resources mm. yeah. so you mentioned Ed Gain there and, and he was one of the speakers at the recent 
Australasian Viral Hepatitis Elimination Conference, as were you, Stuart, giving a plenary, like a, I can't remember, think of the right, valedictory plenary, isn't it? It's not the right term, is it? Yes, it's Yes. It'll do. Regardless, what did you say? What were your messages? Um, they were, basically I've covered most of that already in the hep uh-huh. C space and the hep B space, but the strongest message was that in in terms of hepatitis C and people living with hepatitis C, we absolutely need to focus on uh, treatment as prevention of transmission. So targeted, focused campaigns, working very closely with people who inject drugs, uh, peer workers, peers of different natures, different backgrounds. Um, We need to do that, but at the same time, we need to reach everybody else mm. living with hepatitis C mm. because people who inject drugs, um, sure, some access particular services and we can, we, can, we can reach them there, but people who inject drugs are part of the broader Australian community. Mm. And we need basically what New Zealand does, and that is to have those targeted campaigns, peer work, incentives, etc. but we also need to have broad-based public awareness campaigns that Mm -hmm. families of people with hep CC, that people with hep CC, people who inject drugs and who've got hep CC, Mm -hmm. um, as a message of if you do get cured, you can live a whole lot better. You Mm -hmm. can you can forget all about your liver getting worse. You can Mm -hmm. all you can forget all about transmitting. Um, So that I think is the key message in the hepatitis. C space. We need to focus on all three elimination goals as uh, laid out by the World Health Organization. The first one being um, the um, uh, 80% reduction of by target year of new hepatitis C transmissions. Mm-hmm. We need a 65% reduction in the number of deaths. Mm-hmm. This is by the target year of hepatitis C-related liver disease. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, we need 80% of all people with hepatitis C on treatment or who've been on treatment by the target year. Mm. Unless we achieve all three of those goals or pillars, yeah. elimination pillars, we are not going to eliminate mm. hepatitis C. Because mm. there's sort of um, prevalence, background prevalence issues at work here too, aren't they, in terms of a disease that people can be reinfected with. You need to bring the, the prevalence down to keep this... And with the efforts, the job done, yeah. And with the mm. efforts happening so far, mm. that seems to be working. Mm. From the data coming out of the Kirby Institute's mm. recent um, NSP report, mm. um, that shows that um, both prevalence of Hep C and incidence of Hep C seems to be coming down, yeah. which, mm. is, which, which is really welcome. We know that we've reached many people who are living with cirrhosis, with with advanced mm. liver disease. However, I always see. Um, I see things from a public health point of view, but I also see them from a personal mm-hmm. health point of view. I still, we still have too many deaths. Mm. We still have too many unidentified cases of advanced liver disease. We need to reach those people. Mm. Uh, they're living out there in the broad community. Mm. Um, they're accessing some health services and many people are not accessing any health services at all. So mm. we have to reach them in another way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just as you, you mentioned there, 
importance of reinfection. Shout out to the GP who managed my chest infection in a suburban medical centre on Sunday who talked to me at length about the silly people who continue to put themselves at risk and get um, in new infections after so much money has been spent on Ooh. curing their first infection. So unfortunately, mm. I didn't have enough breath in uh. me at the time <laughs> with a chest infection to counter everything you said, but I made sure he, he knew you. I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> Good on you. So when you <coughs> look back over, you know, 25 years... Mm. Um, Quarter Stuart, of a century, Stuart. Yeah, I know. Um, you know. You know, you will have seen a lot of things happen. What's one of the best things you've seen happen over the years? Mm. Can, I, can I... I think I'd like to name two, if okay. I may. Oh, they're so greedy. <laughs> they, happened, they happened very close together. The first was an announcement in December 2015, uh-huh. an unofficial announcement. A few people in the know heard it, that the new DAAs were going to be listed. And all of us had been working so hard over the years in advocacy, in education, mm. information provision, representation, schmoozing. Whatever it took, we did to... assist government to realise that to put that $1 billion, federal government, to put that $1 billion into funding was a bloody good thing. Mm. And Australia was one of the first countries in the world to have equal treatment access. Mm. And that was the name of our advocacy campaign, was the ETA, which also stood for Expected Time of Arrival. Uh (laughs) Funny, that one. Um, And it worked. So that was the highlight. The celebrations on that afternoon in mm. December 2015 were just phenomenal. Mm. Soon after that, and this is the next highlight, um, Hepatitis New South Wales took the strategic decision to stop producing our magazine, which mm. had 94 editions over the years. It was called Hep Review. Yeah. The thing that pleased me the most was a message, a letter that I got, a little note from Jenny Kelsall. Mm who was the chief executive of Harm Reduction Victoria. She wrote me a note and said, Stuart, it feels like, this is in relation to the HEP review ending, she said, it feels like we have lost a member of the family. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Here's to Jenny. Here's yeah, to Jenny. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely, miss. Yes. What remains unfinished business? For me, um, I've touched on all those issues of need. Mm-hmm. When I hand over to the next CEO of Hepatitis New South Wales, and we should know who that's going to be quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the funding issue, the maintenance, the growth, the, the expansion and the scaling up of things that work. Mm. But for me, my biggest regret is that Hepatitis New South Wales has not been able to make sufficient inroads on behalf of people with hepatitis B. B. Mm-hmm. That is going to be my work, mm-hmm. my passion. Mm-hmm. After I leave Hepatitis New South Wales, I'll be working with some key stakeholders um, in the Hep B free group to both raise money um, and influence stakeholders and purse holders that we need to spend more money now mm-hmm. 
in raising awareness, in getting people tested, mm -hmm. in getting people, those who have been tested, into regular liver health management mm -hmm. in order to save money for the government and the taxpayer and in order to save lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just awesome that the sector won't be losing your enormous expertise and extraordinary talent, and that's mm -hmm. just us. Uh, just so welcome, yeah. I think. And, and a really worthy area of work that... Yeah, under-invested, under under-recognised yeah. um, as an important issue. Yeah, and some good strategic thinking around mm. what needs to be done, so congratulations. That's Thank you. Step. Thank yeah. you. I will, I will stay on a couple of boards, and they both related to the prisoner health area. Right. I was going to ask you about mm. yeah. that one passionate issue um, yeah. in terms of unfinished business. Indeed. <laughs> um, so I'll stay working formally in the prisoner health um, area, um, uh, both on the Justice Health and Forensic Mental Health Network board, but also on the board of Community Restorative Centre. Um, where I've both oh, well, and CRC is a great organisation. Go and look it up. It's fantastic. Really yeah, it yeah. is. It's such. Uh, Look at Outstanding, us. great, huh? CRCNSW.org.au. See, we've got our own plug up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the elimination goal is a good one, and the Ministry of Health in New South Wales has done some fantastic work um, in the Hep C space around setting targets um, for treatment numbers um, for local health districts, for NGOs. Um, uh, they've done a great job in regular, up-to-date, as up-to-date as they can, reporting on data. That, that's really mm. key. Um, the partnerships around research are fantastic, and that's developing all the time. Um, the Ministry of Health has done some great work in, um, in the Hep B space around um, immunisation and vaccination. So congratulations to them for that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a brilliant public health program. Works really well. Not so good looking after people who have hepatitis C, B already. Mm. Mm. Um, so we've got a long way to go. Yeah. I don't think we're going to eliminate hepatitis B by 2030. No. Uh, and we're going to have to work a whole lot harder mm. to eliminate hepatitis C mm -hmm. by 2030. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably a good yeah. place to maybe leave it. But um, I, I did want to say, yeah. um, Stuart, on behalf of Centre for Social Research and Health, mm. and as it was formerly the National Centre in HIV Social Research, we just cannot thank you enough for how extraordinarily generous and kind and inclusive you've been for our work. And my first publication in this area was with you and Max Hopwood. I don't know if you remember that. The Medical Journal of Australia, highly cited and influential paper that one was. <laughs> but a review of stigma and discrimination in the um, viral hepatitis conference in 2002 in mm -hmm. Melbourne or something. You were the, and, and, and um, our relationship has just been so fantastic. You were the first person I called when I found out my family member had died of hepatitis mm -hmm. C related liver cancer. And, you know, the, um, the, the leadership you've given to your group in support of ours has just been what's made make this partnership work and produce and mm -hmm. succeed. You'll be so, sh so sorely missed by our group, and we cannot thank you enough for all your support. Thank you very much, Carla, and thank you, Annie. Mm. I couldn't have done anything near what I've done without you both mm. and without all the partners mm. yeah. in our area of influence and our area of work. Thank yeah. you. And look, just to, to add, you know, while it isn't my position any longer to speak on behalf of ABLE or the, the National Drug Users Organisation, I can say during my time 
with Avil and with Newer. We, uh, you and I, Stuart, um, have always had a really strong relation, working relationship and, and have been through a lot together as community organisations, fighting at the table and advocating. And, you know, we always knew that you would have our back and you've been such a strong advocate on things like NSP in prisons. Yeah. And, you know, once again, you know, really can't thank you enough for all your work and your commitment and your drive over so many years and so many hours that people never know go into things Mm. day and night and you know you've really given everything to this and uh, it is it's noted and appreciated yeah thank Mm. you Annie Mm. let's call this to a close before we all start having a sob (laughs) (laughs) no happy days happy days thank you Stuart thank you For more information about this podcast, our guests, and upcoming episodes, head to httpcsrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.